0: Welcome, and thank you for joining us on the City Point Church Sermon Podcast, where our desire is to help you follow Jesus. We are so glad that you are here, and wherever you are listening from, we believe that God has something in store for you through today's message. We have been working paragraph by paragraph through this book. This is the 13th message In the book of Colossians, believe it or not, this is the second to last message in this series. And so if you're looking ahead, you're like, John, we have a lot of of ground still to cover. So pray for Derek next week because he will be finishing out the book and telling us all about these wonderful names and everything that they did for the gospel. But this week we are looking at chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. And I've entitled this message, Mission... Prerequisite. Mission prerequisite. The word mission, we hear that in a lot of different contexts, and we tend to talk about the word mission a lot in church. It's a little bit of a churchy word, I guess. But what does mission mean in the context of our gathering? What does mission mean in the context of the local church today? Well, mission is anything that assists in bringing God's kingdom into the world through everyday life. Think about your life this week. God wants to use you in everyday, ordinary ways to bring his kingdom to the world. And when you do that, you are assisting in accomplishing God's mission. Paul is the man who wrote this letter to a church in Colossae. Paul was a man that was all about the mission. His whole purpose in life after coming to faith in Jesus was to start churches And to strengthen churches. As a matter of fact, this letter was written to a church, not one that he started, but one that he wanted to strengthen. He wanted to set some things in order. He wanted him to understand what it means for Jesus to be above all in that community. Jesus himself, right at the end of his earthly ministry, commissioned those 11 men to go and to make more and better disciples of God. So he instilled into them this this calling for the mission. So the church today is living on mission for Jesus. City Point Church. We are a church that just has mission built into our DNA. If you're new around here, City Point Church is a church plant. That means that we started with a handful of people. I think we had about eight adults and a handful of rowdy kids in my living room. And that's where City Point Church began. And so... We know a little bit about what it means to scratch off a piece of ground and to see what God can do as he builds his church and his kingdom. So mission is just all about what we do here at City Point Church. It's just a part of the fabric of who we are. But I want to give you a pop quiz this morning. You ready? You didn't know this was coming. Pop quiz. You cannot look at your Bible right now. That's the only time in the service I'm going to tell you that. Don't look at your Bible. Pop quiz. What is the most important prerequisite for mission? If we are going to be about the mission of God, what is the most important prerequisite to accomplish that mission? Is it money? Is it finances? Boy, as a church planter, I know a little bit about that. You cannot start a church without a whole lot of money. It takes money to move the mission. But is it money? Is it, is it a bunch of extroverted people with the gift of evangelism? Like if we could just get all of the extroverted people to go out into the streets and just preach the gospel, is that the most important prerequisite to move the mission forward? Maybe it's just hype and energy. If we all just get really excited. Or maybe, maybe if we just find the perfect playbook, the, the right strategies. If we will just run the right plays, we will be able to reach the world for Christ. What is the most important prerequisite for the mission that God has called us to? Well, now you can look at your Bible. And I want you to notice in our text this morning, I want you to notice where Paul starts. And I want you to see where it leads. Just a few short verses. Follow with me if you would in chapter 4, verse 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer. And there's your answer. Continue steadfastly in prayer. Being watchful in it. With thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word, to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each Person, what begins in verse 2 with prayer, we see leading out of this paragraph with mission in verses 5 and 6. So if you're keeping notes, this is the big idea. It's simple, it's short, it's right to the point. Prayer precedes mission. Prayer precedes mission. In other words, prayer is not just necessary for the mission, prayer is necessary before. The mission. In the 1930s, the B-17 bomber was built for combat in World War II. It was a plane unlike any other plane. It was it was well ahead of its time. It was quite a complicated plane at that time, and it outperformed all of its competitors in the war. And this B-17 bomber was designed in such a way to give us an edge and to get us ahead in that war. Well, it was a very complex plane, and so due to the complexities of this particular plane, someone suggested that, that a pre-flight checklist be put together so that whoever was flying the plane, whoever was responsible to get that thing off the ground, could go through an order of sequence to make sure they did everything that was necessary, everything that needed to be done ahead of time before that plane could get off the ground. You can find this checklist online. I was looking at it this week. Just Google it. As I was looking at this checklist, there were 38 boxes that needed to be checked before that plane was ready to take off. And thus was born the first pre-flight checklist. These are still used today. Astronauts use them. Of course, Uh, pilots use them. These are even used by surgeons and others who are going through a series of complex and difficult uh, routines. If, If they don't do things in a certain order, they won't get the desired results. And so checklists and pre-flight checklists, these are the things that you must do before the plane is ready to take off. About a month ago, Derek and I were taking a trip to Iowa for a conference, and we boarded a plane to head to Iowa. We sat down, we got our earbuds in, we got our our book out, our device out. We were kind of getting settled in, ready for that flight, ready to take off and get to our destination. And just as we were getting settled in, the pilot got on the intercom And he said, we are experiencing some difficulties. The mechanics are on their way. They need to check a few things before we're ready to take off. So we sat there for a few more minutes. And then a few minutes later, again, the pilot got on and said, we regret regret to inform you that we are going to have to get all of you off the plane onto another plane to get you to your destination. This plane is not ready for flight. Now, if you've ever been there, it's a little frustrating, like you're hunkered down, you're ready to go, you're, you're buckled in, you're, you know, you're ready to take off, you want to get to your destination, it's a little inconvenient. But none of us are arguing with the pilot. None of us are like, you know what, can we just skip the checklist? Can we just get this baby off the ground and like, get to our destination? Planes don't just take off. And neither should we. God has called us to mission. And Paul is saying there are some great things that you're doing and there are some things that you've got in place. And you're a church that is establishing that Jesus should be, Jesus should be above all. But before you get going, you must understand that prayer is first required of the church. Prayer precedes mission. So our question this morning is how, how do we know we're ready for mission? How do we know the plane's ready for takeoff? text is going to answer that question. It's going to look like this if you're writing some things down. We will be ready for mission when, number one, we begin with persistent prayer. We will be ready for mission when we begin with persistent prayer. I want you to see it in verse 2 of our text. He says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Now, if you were to do a quick Amazon search, I know this because I did it this past week, and if you were to search prayer book, you would get over 70,000 results on Amazon for, for books and content that is about prayer. Can I offer to us this morning that I don't believe it's, it's another book that we need about prayer or even another message like this that we need about prayer. What we as the people of God need to start doing is we actually need to start praying not just learning about it, but actually going and doing it. And I understand that's a, that's a challenge. That, that's a discipline, if you will. That's a rhythm that needs to be formed into our lives. But we may read another book and hear another sermon or listen to another podcast, but are we actually getting on bended knee before our Creator? Continue steadfastly in prayer. F.B. Myers said, The greatest tragedy is not unanswered prayers, it's unoffered prayers. The ones that we have not whispered to our God. And So what Paul does here, very conveniently for me this morning, is he offers to us a three-point mini-lesson on how to pray. And it's right here in the text. I want you to see it. Paul says you need to pray continually. You need to pray attentively. And then you need to pray gratefully. First he says continue steadfastly in prayer. Pray Continually, this should be the regular habit and rhythm of the church. That we should be a people of God that are always demonstrating and expressing our dependence on God through our regular rhythms of prayer. Continue steadfastly in prayer. This was a mark of the early church in Acts chapter 1 and verse 14. It said, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. The word devoting has this idea of persevering continuing, laboring in prayer. The church, the modern church today is busier than it has ever been. And some of us grew up in an era when church was really busy. But there are programs that are being started and there are initiatives that that are happening and there are are ministries that are getting off of the ground and there are conferences to go to and retreats to attend and there are camps that are being held and there are even churches that need to be planted and missionaries that need to be sent and there are all of these things that the church today is busy doing, but have we thought to stop and first pray? We are doing a lot of things, but are we praying? Continue steadfastly in prayer. Pray continually. But then Paul says, pray attentively. The next phrase, being watchful in it. That word watchful literally means alertness or awakeness. And i got to be honest, a good strong cup of coffee pairs really well with time in prayer. Just being alert, being awake, being present. How many times have we prayed and our mind has just been somewhere else? How many times has it just been, Lord, bless this food to our bodies. Lord, give us traveling mercies. Lord, bless my kids as they go to sleep. And it's just sort of this rote prayer, this mindless prayer that we're just praying, but we're not actually present in the prayer. Be watchful. Be attentive. Be alert in your praying. Jesus told his disciples, watch and pray. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And we've all felt that so it might mean that you are going to set aside the best time of your day. If you are not a morning person, that might not be the best time for you to devote that that time to God in prayer. It might just be a good morning, Lord, as you kind of meander your way to the coffee pot to get going. If the evenings are a better time for you, then that's the designated time it might mean doing something like like taking a walk while you pray or exercising while you pray i've i've heard of some who will even listen to worship music because it just allows their mind to stay focused to be watchful to be attentive as they pray pray continually pray attentively and then paul says pray gratefully the last two words with thanksgiving with thanksgiving praise is prayer in reverse We are praying and praying and praying, and then we are praising and praising and praising. Just a moment ago, as some stood down here and testified to the goodness of God and what He has done in their life, there was a prayer, no doubt, on the other side of that praise. It may have been them praying for victory. It may have been them praying to become sober. It may have been someone in their life praying for them at a season of their life when they didn't even know to pray for themselves. But somebody was praying on the front side of that praise. And so today, what did we see? We saw those prayers in reverse. We saw somebody praising God for the answers to the prayers that they or someone else was praying with thanksgiving. Christians don't need to wait for the third Thursday of November to have Thanksgiving. Every single day we are praying continually, we are praying watchfully, and then we are praying gratefully as we are speaking back to God the things that He has done for us, oftentimes in answer to the prayers that we were praying to Him. So as a church, we must first move inward before we can move outward. We must first move inward towards prayer before we can move outward towards mission. The grammar of this text is all plural. The verbs here, they're all plural. In other words, Paul is not saying to one individual person, you individually need to continue steadfastly in prayer, watching in all things with thanksgiving. He's actually speaking to the collective group. It doesn't mean that all of their praying will be corporate praying, but it doesn't mean that everybody will be involved in the praying. It is a call to the church, not just to individuals. And so how will City Point Church, how will we as a community of followers of Jesus get better at persistent prayer? Three ways that I wrote down. The first will be through organic prayer. Organic prayer. These are the unplanned times. One of my favorite things to see after a service as we dismiss and people are mingling and people are heading towards the back doors and they're on their way to lunch is that there might be a group here or a group over there or back on the couch in the back huddled around somebody or huddled around each other and they're praying. Nobody, nobody said, hey, you need to go do this. They just huddled up. It was organic. Somebody shared a need and someone else said, let's pray for that need. That should be happening all the time within the body of Christ. It might be after a life group. Maybe your life group leader doesn't even say, hey, we're going to have a special time of prayer. Somebody else in the group might just say, some burdens were shared tonight. Could we just pray? Could we just huddle up and pray? These organic and spontaneous times of prayer, it might be that someone this week or next week or within the next month is saying, do you want to come to my house? We're going to have a time of worship and prayer. This isn't a scheduled time where the church has organized this and you need to register in the church center app for it. It's not one of those It's just organic prayer when the people of God are saying we need to continue steadfastly in this and so let's gather and let's pray as the people of God. How will we get better at persistent prayer? Through organic prayer. We as a church will also get better at persistent prayer through corporate prayer. These are those times when it's a regular rhythm for us as a church when we gather to pray. Every Sunday... At 9.20 in the morning, before this service, there is a group of people that gathers in this room for prayer. By the way, that is an open invitation. Anybody is welcome to come to that. You say, well, John, I'm not on the prayer team. That's okay. You can come and continue steadfastly in prayer. And people are in this room scattered around some of them kneeling at the seat where you are seated this morning, praying, praying for the person that will be seated in that chair, praying for the people that will be in that row or in that section, praying for the manifest glory and presence of God to be felt in this room. They are praying for the preached word. They are praying for the team as they lead us in worship. They are praying for burdens to be lifted. They are praying for the lost to come home to Jesus. They are praying for these things because what God has called us to in mission, we must not just take off in flight and trust that it's going to happen. We must pray first. And So there is a people gathered for corporate prayer at 920 every Sunday morning in this room. And you're welcome to come and join them next week. Organic prayer. Corporate prayer, but then also we must get better at persistent prayer through concentrated prayer. So what is concentrated prayer? Concentrated prayer is extended time in prayer. You see, a shift happens when we spend an extended time with God in prayer. Something that doesn't happen when it's just a five-minute or a ten-minute quick prayer, but when we are 30 and 40 and 60 and 90 minutes in prayer, something starts to happen, a shift in our spirit, a sense of God's presence, and anointing even in the moment as we are praying, as as the Spirit of God is entering into our prayers with us, and, and God is working through us in that moment, concentrated prayer. We have a vision to see on this campus, a designated room, That will be a 24-hour prayer room for this purpose. A room that will be available in the middle of the night, in the middle of the day, in between your shift as you're driving by the church and just feel compelled to pull into the parking lot and to go into that room. Maybe you'll come by yourself. Maybe it'll be a group of you from your life group or uh, a group of you that are doing some discipleship together. You're going to come into that room and you're going to pray. And that room is going to be designed in such a way to disciple our church in concentrated prayer. It will not just be an empty room. It will not just be a room with a chair. It will be a room with prayer prompts, a prayer wall, a a guided uh, list so that you can spend essentially 60 or more minutes walking through some prayer prompts and some liturgical prayers and some prayer suggestions so that there can be a season with you and God. Why is that a priority for us? It is a priority because God has called us to mission. And so who are we to presume upon God before spending extended time in his presence? Because prayer precedes mission. The weather's getting cooler, which means it's fire pit season. So those of us with those fire pits in our backyard, we're enjoying those. You start that fire, you get it going, it's raging for a while, and then eventually it starts to die down, doesn't it? The embers start to grow cold. So what do you do? You go to your pile of wood, you grab another log, and you put it on the fire. If mission is the fire, then prayer is the fuel. And where there is no fuel, there will be no fire. Where we are not praying, the Spirit of God will not be moving. And so it's time to put another log on the fire. It's time to go to God in prayer. And say, God, would you work and would you lead as we are seeking to do what you have called us as a church to do? Would you go before us in this matter? We will be ready for mission when we begin with persistent prayer. Continue steadfastly in prayer. Number two, we will be ready for mission when we get specific about gospel doors. When we get specific about gospel doors, Paul is going to go from broad to narrow. He's going to go from pray consistently, being watchful in all things with thanksgiving, to pray for me. I want you to see it in verse 3. He says, At the same time, in other words, while you are praying, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word. To declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Paul's saying, hey, can I, can I submit my prayer request to you as a church? Here's my prayer request to the church at Colossae. Would you pray for us, because Paul was not alone in his mission and in his ministry, would you pray for us that gospel doors would be open so that the message of Christ could be preached? So that those who are in darkness can see the light of Christ and be transferred into the kingdom of light. Pray for us. Pray for these doors that they would be open wide. He says pray that for us as we declare the mystery of Christ that we may be able to make it clear. If you have been journeying with us in the book of Colossians, we have seen that phrase, that expression of the mystery of Christ, The mystery of Christ in part was that the gospel was now being made available to the Gentiles, to the non-Jews. But the mystery of Christ in totality was that the culmination of God's redemptive plan was being realized in the person and work of Jesus. And if you will recall back to our very first paragraph... In chapter 1, the very first message when Paul said that the gospel has come to you, but it is also increasing and it is bearing fruit in the whole world and territory is being reclaimed for the gospel. Paul is now saying, pray for more of that. Pray for more territory to be reclaimed as what is unknown, the mystery, becomes known. So that those who don't know Christ may come to faith in Christ. Pete Gregg said, more will happen if more will pray. Unless our mission is birthed in prayer and nurtured in prayer, more will not come of it. And I believe this morning the Apostle Paul agrees. Pray for us as we move forward on mission. The gospel was Paul's binding obligation. He says, which is how I ought to, To speak, We don't use that word very much, ought. This is what I ought to do. But it has this idea of obligation. I must do this. I am compelled to do this. Paul would say to another church, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. This is my calling. This is my obligation. I must do this, but I cannot do this if you will not pray for me as I do it. Why do we pray for something that is undeniably God's will? Isn't the mission of God God's will? Isn't the gospel getting to all people God's will? Why are we praying for something that we already know is undeniably His will? Aren't we told that the gates of hell won't prevail against the church? Aren't we told that God is not willing that any should perish? We are praying for the mission because the mission will always encounter opposition. There will always be resistance to the movement forward of God's mission. Sometimes that resistance is me, to be honest, Sometimes it's, it's my, own, my own fear and lack of courage and lack of boldness to believe or to speak in God's name. But other times it's that unseen realm. It is the kingdom of darkness that is pushing heavily against the kingdom of light as God is seeking to advance in this world. And so to the church at Corinth, Paul would write and say, For a wide door of effective work has opened to me. And then he says that there are many adversaries. It is no coincidence in Ephesians 6 that the passage about spiritual warfare that begins with the statement that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood ends with Paul saying, pray for me as I preach the gospel. It is a spiritual battle that we are entering into. It is a spiritual mission. We are not wrestling against flesh and blood. As we are seeking to preach the gospel and bring the kingdom of God to this world, it is something that must be empowered by the Spirit of God as we are waging the war with Christ. And so we pray. So I want to ask you this morning, what gospel door are you desiring for God to open? What gospel door are you praying for? What door that is currently closed to the message of Christ are you praying that God will open? I'm not asking about what financial need do you have or what health need do you have. We will pray for those things, but that's a different text. This text is gospel doors. A gospel door is an opportunity to share the message of Christ. Verse 3, Paul says that God may open to us a door for The word. He's personifying the word. What he's saying here is pray for us that God would open a door so that the incarnate word can walk into a space that he previously did not inhabit. Pray for us so that the word may enter into the dark places and the dark spaces and the lost people's lives in the world around us. So, what door are you praying for God to open? I have a door. That I've been praying that God will open for us as a church. It's not just for me personally, but it's really for us as a congregation, and it is the door of Arizona State University. This is a door that is closed in many respects. There are some lights that are there, there is some witness that is that, that is there, but there is a lot of work still to be done for this door to be open. And I am praying. God has strategically and purposefully placed us where he has as a church to see this door open for the gospel. There is a statistic I read recently that 70% of Christian young people who go off to college leave the faith their freshman year. 70% of the teenagers who leave our good and strong youth ministries in our good and strong churches, from our good and strong families, go off to a college campus like ASU, 70% of them in the first year walk away from the faith. There is work to be done for the gospel. But let me share another statistic with you. 70% of college students who come to faith during their college years never walk away from the faith. 70%. Which means there is work to be done for the gospel of Christ. So I am asking you, as Paul was asking uh, the church at Colossae, to pray for us. Pray for us as we seek to see this door, a door that is closed, to be opened up for the gospel. This is my door, this is our door, but what is your door? What is the door that you are praying? Maybe it's a person. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a co-worker and they are not yet a follower of Jesus and you are praying for them. God has put them in your life. Maybe it's an opportunity that God is stirring in your heart. Maybe to start a Bible study in your complex or in your dorm room or even in your neighborhood. Maybe there's a place. I mentioned ASU. Maybe it's a college campus. Maybe it's a classroom, maybe it's an office, maybe it's a a workspace, maybe it's a group of people that you interact with each and every day. Maybe it's a calling. Some of you in this room, I know God is working in your life about full-time vocational ministry, and that's a door. But right now it's closed, and you're praying, and you're trusting. What is the door in your life that right now is closed that you are praying God will open? Here's what I want you to do. In the seat pocket in front of you, there is a 3 by 5 card just like this. Would you find that card? Pull it out. Pull it out. There's a pen right next to it. What I want you to do is right now, I want you to write on that card your door. The door that you are praying. Maybe it's somebody's name. Maybe it's that opportunity. Maybe it's something that has been just stirring in your heart. And again, this is not just a prayer request. For a financial or a health need or a new job. We will pray for those things. But this card is for a door. For the word to enter. And I want you to write it on that card. Why are we doing this? Why are we writing it? Because we want to get specific. I want you to see it. I want you to visualize it. Write it on that card. I want you to hang on to this card. I've got something I want you to do with this. I've got mine upside down. I didn't even know that. Something I want you to do with this. At the end of the service, when you've written that down, just hold on to that and keep that. There's only one direction that a closed door can swing, and it's open. And prayer is often the power that moves that door on the hinges from being closed to the message of Christ to being open to the message of Christ. We will be ready for mission when, number one, we begin with persistent prayer. Number two, when we get specific about gospel doors like you just did. And then number three, we will be ready for mission when we live expecting opportunities. Here's what's going to happen. Here's what, here's what inevitably happens. As soon as you get specific and as soon as you start praying for opportunities, just be ready. Ready? God's going to start bringing them to you. That person that you're going to be that you're going to be praying for this week, all of a sudden's going to come to you and say, "Hey, I've got some questions for you." And you're going to be like, "Oh no, <laughs> what do I do now?" And the Spirit of God's going to whisper to you, "Hey, wait a minute. I thought you were praying for that door to open. I'm starting to open it. Like, I know, but what now?" What do I do? Because prayer precedes mission, so we've been praying and praying and praying, and all of a sudden some doors start opening, and we start seeing some missional opportunities. What do we do now? We live in a manner, in a way, that is expecting those opportunities to arrive even this week. So how do we live in a way that's expecting opportunities? I want you to see it right here in verses 5 and 6. Again Paul has done the heavy lifting he's done the hard work for us here through the work of the spirit it's just right here in the text walk in wisdom toward outsiders making the best use of the time let your speech always be gracious seasoned with salt so that you may know how you ought to, there's that word again that must obligatory word so that you may know how you ought to answer each person so how do we live in a way that's expecting these opportunities Really two things that Paul tells us here. Number one, he tells us to walk in wisdom. Walk in wisdom. We've, we've been looking at that word wisdom. It's come up a couple of times here in the book of Colossians. Wisdom is the totality of the person and teaching of Christ. Jesus is the personification. If you're familiar with the Proverbs and, and the ancient writings that were just full of teachings about wisdom, Jesus is the personification of that wisdom. So to walk in wisdom is to walk in the way of Jesus. It is to walk in a way that you are representing Jesus. You, this week, are Jesus with skin on. Jesus came and lived and died and we have put faith in Christ so that now our sins are forgiven and his spirit indwells us and so now we are the little Christs. We are the representations of Jesus to the world. So everywhere that we go this week, we need to walk in wisdom. But, he, but notice what he says. He says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders. Now, that's not meant to be derogatory in any way. It just simply means that those who have put faith in Christ are in Christ. So those who have not yet put faith in Christ are outside of Christ. So these are the unbelieving co-workers. These are the unbelieving family members that will be seated at your dinner table this Thursday... For, thanks, for a Thanksgiving meal. Th- these are those who have not yet put faith in Christ. We are walking in wisdom in front of them. It is for their, for their benefit so that they might understand as we live, as Christ would live, that they might get a glimpse into the gospel in our lives. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders. And he says this, making the best use of the time. Now understand, this is not about time management. This verse is not go get a good app so that you can keep a good schedule and stay on task and be productive and get things done. I've heard it preached that way, but that's not what Paul's getting at. Making the best use of the time, the idea underneath that word is buy up all of the time. Buy it all up and buy it all out for the purpose of mission. If you go to Fries this Wednesday night to try to find a turkey, good luck. You will not find one because they have all been bought up. They've been bought out. Well, why have they been bought up and bought out? Well, because there is a cause and there is urgency. The cause is Thanksgiving dinner, and the urgency is it's this week. So if you wait too long to go get your turkey, they're all going to be bought up. Understand this, church. We have a cause and we have an urgency. The cause is the mission of Jesus Christ, and the urgency is time is short. So as we are walking in wisdom towards outsiders, we are making the most of the time. We are buying up the opportunities. We are not letting them pass by. When the Spirit of God whispers to us about a conversation that he wants us to have, you're thinking, God, right now, right here, yes, right now, right here. Make the best use of the time. Buy it up for the cause of Christ and his gospel. Walk in wisdom. That's how we live in a way that's expecting opportunities. But then secondly, he says, speak with grace. Speak with grace. It's not just about being Jesus with skin on. It's not just about walking around and just living a good life. It's also speaking into situations and using our words for the purpose of gospel conversations. What does this look like? Verse 6, he says, let your speech always be gracious. Seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. The salt metaphor is found really all throughout Scripture. It has various different applications, oftentimes, depending on the context in which it's used. Salt was valuable, it was used sometimes even to trade and to purchase things, salt was a preservative. Salt had a distinctiveness, which is why Jesus said if, if you lose your distinctiveness, you're just going to be thrown out like salt that's trampled underfoot. But in this context, I believe what Paul is getting at is that the metaphor, the, 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 the application of the metaphor is that of seasoning. He says seasoned with salt. Seasoning adds flavor. It adds taste. It even gives you a desire for more. You want to take another bite. You want to enjoy that. You want to savor that. It seasons. So, as we are living this week in front of an unbelieving world, we are to live in such a way that reflects Christ and his wisdom, and we are to speak in such a way that is adding some salt and some desire for more. Now, here's the reality some conversations require a little bit of salt, some conversations require a lot of salt. Sometimes you've got somebody and you just know that just the the slightest little comment's going to set them off and they're just going to start spinning out. You might just kind of, just kind of a pinch of salt in that conversation. Maybe something God's doing in your life. Maybe a testimony about what God's doing in your life. And that's just enough to season that conversation. But other people, they're just ready. And you're just going to like load it on. Like God's been working in their life, and you're like, you know, let's get some Cajun seasoning out. Let's just get the spicy stuff out. Let's just get into the gospel here and share what it means to put faith in Jesus. Our conversation is gracious, and it's seasoned with salt so that we may know how we ought to answer, notice the next word, each person. Because every conversation is different, which means every conversation requires a different amount of that salt, of that additive, of putting the gospel and sprinkling the gospel into that conversation. And let me also just say and give you your friendly reminder this morning that your disposition preaches the gospel just as much as your position. In other words, you don't have to be mean and angry about preaching the gospel because you're just right. It also matters how you do it, to be gracious in how you present the gospel to people. So live your everyday life for Jesus. We call this everyday mission. Everyday mission. This is you at the grocery store. This is you at the gym. This is you at work. This is you on that Zoom call. This is you with your your friends as you're going out for a hike together. Whatever you might be doing, everyday mission. It's not just about the organized times when the church is all getting together to go out and serve the community. We'll do those things, but this is about everyday mission. You going to your sphere of quote-unquote outsiders, those who are outside of Christ, who have not yet put faith in Jesus, and you living differently, walking in wisdom and speaking with grace. This is for every one of us. This is not just for the church leadership and for the pastors and for those who serve in some capacity at the church, this is for every single one of us. There is a super cringy Christian movie that was made in 1980 called Super Christian. And uh, the, the star of the show was Clark Kent. I didn't misspeak. Clark Kant was the super Christian. And Clark would go into his week, live his life, and he would not really be any kind of a reflection of Jesus. And he would just kind of live in the world and live for the world and live for himself. But then he would go to church on Sundays and he would suit up in his super Christian outfit. And he he just kind of had all the right answers and lived the perfect life at church among all his Christian friends. And then he would just kind of go right back to it. And churches back in the 80s would use this and show this to youth groups and say, don't live life this way. And the reality is, a lot of times unbelievers look at Christians, believers, and that's how they view us. That all we are is a group of hypocrites who we go to church and we kind of suit up in our Superman outfit like we've got all the answers and we're perfect and we're all put together. And then we go live our life and we're not really a whole lot different than they are. Well, Clark Kant's friend came to him a little bit later in the movie and explained to him that's not how this is supposed to work. You are actually supposed to live your life differently Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. What what you are learning and how you are growing and how you are being formed into the likeness of Christ on Sunday is actually supposed to change how you live throughout the week. So it's not about suiting up and being some super Christian. It's really just about being an everyday, average, ordinary Christian. That the Spirit of God empowers and enables to live a life intentionally on mission for Him. So go to work this week and live for Jesus. Go to the gym this week and live for Jesus. Go to your school this week and live for Jesus. Go to your kids' practice. Go to your kids' game and live for Jesus. Go to that Thanksgiving meal and live for Jesus. Just everyday mission, walking in wisdom, speaking with grace. Pray for gospel doors and then be ready for those gospel conversations. So here's that big idea. Prayer precedes mission. Every week I give a big idea and I was sitting in my office this past week and I was wrestling. What do these things have to do with each other? I see prayer like in general and then I see this really specific prayer request and then I see everybody living on mission. And as I sat in prayer to just consider God, what is the big idea? I felt impressed on my spirit. Prayer precedes mission. When you read this text, it's it's just there. It's just sort of what happens in the text. They are praying then they are praying specifically, and then he's saying, okay, now go. Now go live differently. So the idea is don't go live differently until you first have stopped to pray. Don't go run after that mission. Don't don't let the plane take off until you've first gone through the checklist. And one of those boxes to check, if not the first box to check, is prayer. Prayer precedes mission. I want to ask our worship team to come and to prepare our final song this morning and as they're coming I want to I want to ask two questions. We do this every week. We call these our learning to live questions. We want to learn to live. We don't just want to learn to learn. So my first question is this. Are you an insider or an outsider? Are you an insider meaning are you in Christ? Or are you an outsider, meaning you have not yet put faith in Jesus? That's not meant to be some kind of a click or That's not what's going on there. It's just simply even the terminology that is used in Scripture. When someone has put faith in Christ, they are said to be in Christ. Are you an insider or are you an outsider? And if this morning you are an outsider, meaning you have not yet put faith in Jesus, maybe you've gone through some motions. Maybe you've sat in a church a couple of times. Maybe you've even read your Bible a little bit or understood some things about religion, but if you've never actually put faith in Jesus, the good news is faith moves you from being an outsider to being an insider. And by simple faith in what Christ has done, your life can be eternally changed. Not because of something that you've done or need to do, but because of what Christ has already accomplished for you. And so if you are here and you're like, John, that's me. I'm not yet in Christ what I want to be, then right now, by faith, trust in Jesus alone. Let Him be your Savior. My second question is this. For those of us who put faith in Christ, are you willing to pray for your gospel door? Are you willing to pray for that door that is currently closed, that person, that opportunity, that calling, that impression that God has put on your heart that is a ministry mission opportunity it's closed right now but are you willing to pray for that gospel door that God would open that door i want you to find the 3 by 5 card that you filled out a moment ago as you as you're finding that and pulling that out by the way if you if you haven't filled it out fill it out are you willing to pray for that and be specific about it i want to put a quote on the screen here again by Pete Gregg. He said, we must have prayer at the center of our mission and mission at the center of our prayer. I'm going to say that again. We must have prayer at the center of our mission. Sounds like today's message. And mission at the center of our prayer. This card for you represents mission. It represents a door that you are praying that God would open for you. Really for him maybe even to work through you so that someone or some place might have gospel impact and a gospel witness. In just a moment, I'm going to invite you in response to this question and really in response to this message to bring this card down to the front and to place it on one of these sets of steps down front. The reason we're doing this is because I believe that as we respond outwardly, it solidifies the decision that we're making so I'm going to invite you in just a moment, si is going to sing, and as he sings, we're going to stand and we're going to come, and we're going to place these cards, these doors that we are praying that God would open for the Word to enter. And then after they've been brought down, you can just lay it on the step and just go back to your seat, Then we are going to collectively and corporately have a moment of prayer over these doors that God would open them. The other thing that I want to do with these cards is we're going to collect these after they're laid on the steps here today, and we're going to take these, and when that 24-hour prayer room is open, we're Post these in that room so that so that as a church we will continue to pray and continue to pray and continue to pray not just a one and done not just let's pray for this one thing and then we're on our way but we're going to continue to pray and trust and believe god to work thank you for joining us today to find out more about city point church visit us online at citypointaz.com you can also find us on social media at citypointaz be sure to leave a review Subscribe and share this podcast with your friends. Now from us here at City Point Church, go seeking to live on mission for the glory of God with this truth stamped over your life, that you are loved.